0: All right, everybody, welcome to the August 10th and later 11th edition of Cascadian Views. We're going to split it out over two days this week. Uh, we got Dan and JJ here. Hello, hello. guys. JJ, it's good to hear you again. Uh, Yeah. we, We had some local politics I think we're going to focus on. JJ is our Seattle resident, the largest city in the region, and only one of us actually lives there. So uh, you guys had a, a fair bit of local uh, political intrigue. You had your local primaries. There, uh, there was a lot of shakeup, I, I think more so than usual. Of the seven city council members, only three are running for re-election. Four of them are retiring or moving on to other jobs, which left a lot of, of open space for people to pursue. There were a lot of candidates this year.
1: Yeah. And all incumbents made it through the primary process. Um, But yeah, a couple of the districts, and of course now I'm not going to be able to find which ones, but God, a couple of them had like 10 plus candidates. Yeah, um, so the ballot was fucking crazy huge. I mean, it was was a one page front and back, but some of those sections were just like, who in the fuck are those four people? It was yeah. like, I've seen signs everywhere, and then, like, go through the actual ballot, and I'm like, well, I haven't seen any signs for them, like, oh, well, that's not voting great, like, well, they're not getting anywhere.
0: That uh, that was part of some of the analysis that I was reading, um, specifically around some numbers for some of the incumbents. Uh, Gashama Sawant, in particular, had a, a fairly low vote total. Uh, she she mm-hmm. didn't win her district, basically. It's a top-two primary system, so the top two vote getters go on to the general election she will be one of them uh but people at least from what i saw uh in the the serious news media i have to say this isn't i don't know people involved in intersectional politics in seattle where she draws a lot of her base this is all political media analysis Uh, a lot of people were saying that that's basically an artifact of the fact that she was unlucky enough to draw, like, six or seven viable opponents. Like, six or seven legitimate candidates running against her. Uh, whereas some of the other districts, you know, people running for re-election only had one or two. They cleaned up with, like, 60% of the vote to, to her 30-whatever percent of the vote. Isn't that she's unpopular or, or whatnot. It's that there were a lot of people who ran who were real candidates who weren't just like in it for the vanity campaign or
1: whatnot Mm -hmm. i mean and and looking at that district so she got 32.8 uh the second person got 20 point something uh and then the next two were in the teens um in my opinion most of that is just the seattle times throwing some shade yeah Mm -hmm. um It's really funny. I actually have both The Stranger's article about the primary and The Seattle Times' article about the primary up, and they both talk shit about each other. (laughs) (laughs) So like, just to give you like a little peel behind the curtain kind of a look is like, so there's The Seattle Times and the Chamber of Commerce, and they have the candidates that they support. And that would be Egan Orion, you know, in this particular district, uh, shit, what am I in district three? Yeah. Central district district three, um, in that particular district. Yeah. Like, uh, Egan Orion is expressly backed by Amazon. Shama Sawant has of course gone up against Amazon every year. She has been in office, um, The Seattle Times hates her because she thinks that they're a bunch of old fuddy-duddies and hacks. Not that that's entirely wrong, but of course, you know, I fit more on her side of the political spectrum. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, the Seattle Times has had some really fucking terrible coverage in the city lately. Um, To say nothing of uh, something that was also mentioned, actually, in both articles... um, I believe it's in district five, where that was a bigger issue, um, which is going to be, yeah, the northern, I think it, yeah, it was uh, city council district four and five, which is north of me, like UW and then the shoreline kind of area. Uh, Como 5 News put out this just miserably fucking tone deaf, uh, half an hour video essay about homelessness six months ago. That's called Seattle is dying. I remember that. Um, it's atrocious. Like it's, it's the yellow journalism of homelessness. Mm Mm-hmm. Like straight up, like every single minute of that is just like, oh, look at the destitute poverty. Let's go fuck up a socialist for it. And then that's and it's a half an hour of that. It's like, watch, let's make fun of this poor guy shooting heroin because he lives in our city. Wow, our city's really a total fucking shithole, isn't it, Seattleites? Um unsurprisingly, this did not play well with the voting populace um and the handful of candidates who ran backing that video bombed
0: yeah i read that there Hardcore. were like two candidates who explicitly ran like yeah for that and neither and, one of them did well
1: and uh yeah and neither one of them made it through and both of them got their asses handed to them because i mean can't believe i'm gonna have to say this in the 21st fucking century but you know civic pride means something folks and you can't just haul off and like lay a hot duke on a city and then expect people to think oh yeah that's what leadership looks like Mm -hmm. like leadership does not look like a hot duke that's that's never gonna happen (laughs) that's i mean bumper sticker for you right there connington 2024 (laughs) leadership is not a hot duke (laughs) (laughs) um yeah So there's a you know, and it's the same thing that we've discussed in past city council elections here in Seattle, is this big push and pull between what on the national level are seen as the two different faces of the Democratic Party Mm -hmm. of the corporate-backed and the people-backed. And that they're really Isn't any bleed over and seems less and less space for intermingling and bleed over. Um, And I'd say that, you know, that's a lot mushier on the national level, though even then I could argue against myself in that regard. But um, in the city, it's really, really stark. I mean, you know, to go back to the whole Orion and Sawant matchup, like, He's expressly backed by Amazon, who successfully pressured the mayor and multiple members of city council last year to do away with the head tax, which was the only way that we were going to be able to pay for housing, hmm. both low income housing and homeless housing. Uh, you know, how we were going to get needle receptacles. In buildings. You guys old. are flirting
0: with safe injection sites, if I remember right,
1: too. Fuck yes, we are. And we fucking need them, man. It is, like, it's not good. Yeah,
0: and uh, Like,
1: I've found needles in the bathrooms at my workplace. Yeah, that's... All crazy. of our bathrooms have needle receptacles, and I've still found them sitting on a stall. Like... My school effectively is one of the few safe injection sites in town, and that's not fucking great for me or for the students of my school. Mm-hmm. Um, we're in a very high density, high trafficked area. We're right next to a major park that's a known drug trafficking area. We're three blocks from the police station, too. Like it's all right there. We need safe injection sites. These people need a place to go. They need to be safe. I mean, you know, we only look at, you know, a lot of nimby fuckers just talk about safe. Oh, we don't want to see that shit. Cool. Give people a safe injection site. Give people a place to be that's not on the street. So your fucking kids don't have to see somebody passed out in a dope coma. Like, give them a place there's a a
0: great kind of contrast between how some cities deal with that you guys have a wonderful example in Vancouver just to the North of you which was I believe the the first city to have those safe injection sites uh and then compare that when I was living in San Francisco the city put out pamphlets uh that were basically how to shoot up heroin yeah (laughs) Walk you through the process rated places of safeness like in your own home was preferable if you right. can't get that like a private bathroom is better and then like a bathroom stall and like all the way down at the bottom is like a, a fucking like staircase out of you know the wind and whatnot it's just yeah. you're right that there's two very different approaches uh yeah and they, and... they really come clashing together
1: i mean and and the biggest issue really is just nimby people you know Mm -hmm. for those uninitiated not in my backyard um that that want good things just not
0: where they have to deal with it
1: yeah but my frustration with this particular issue is that like if the nimby people would just pull their head out of their ass and stop being chronic obstructionists because that's really all that they are Mm -hmm. Because it's not even, it's like, it's beyond not in my backyard. It's just not at all
0: ever. Yeah. It's it's
1: just solid obstructionism. And it's very reactionary. Like a safe injection site would actually take this out of people's backyards. It would take it out of people's front yards. It would get it out of the corridors at their work, like out of their bathrooms. This does everything a NIMBY shithole should be in favor for but because they're chronic obstructionists and just can't for the life of them pony up 50 cents for anything fucking reasonable that isn't a subsidy to a large corporation my city is drowning in a problem um and so we attempted a head tax to pay for all of this and every idiot NIMBY motherfucker was like no let's not tax Amazon maybe they're going to leave the city like every moderate always ever does when we talk about taxing a corporation at any level, be it local or national. Oh, they're going to pull business. Well, they're fucking headquartered here, man. Like it's a, It'd be a big PR hit to Bezos if he in the wake of his divorce and settlement upped and pulled his company from the place that he started it and lived in his whole life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not a good look. I don't actually think that we have to worry about that. But those fuckers have to pay. Like, they're they're
0: a big part of the reason the housing crisis is hitting Seattle. So and yeah, if they leave, a lot of that problem solves itself. If they stay and pay more taxes, you guys have money to fix that problem. That seems yeah. like a win win to me.
1: And yeah. when when you combine that with the national discussion of Amazon, a place that's getting a bunch of subsidies and paying zero in income tax, like you know it it paints. A very clear and easy picture of a, you know, the, it's one of the the easiest um, examples of advanced stage capitalism gone wrong. Honestly, is Amazon like we, the taxpayers, are pouring money into one of the most financially successful companies in the history of our species. And we're getting nothing from it whatsoever. We're we're just shoveling money into Scrooge's vault. Like he doesn't already have a fuck ton of cash. And it's it's ludicrously out of touch with what actual needs look like. Which I mean, I'm sorry, is a very, very long uh digression from the actual elections, but Oh, it totally it right. does yeah. get at that kind of pivotal dynamic in the battle that both the stranger and Seattle times are, are pitching as the fight over my city. Now, though I do will with all of that, I think that there's a fair criticism about whether or not that's actually a solid fight in my city or not. Um, I I think that it's very, very helpful for both political candidates and certain newspapers vying for reads to pitch this as as a heated battle as possible but i think that there's probably a lot more that people agree on in the city you know looking at polling looking at issue issue based ideas i think that there's a lot more agreement than both periodicals are letting readers believe Hmm.
0: The, uh, it's interesting that you brought up that dynamic between the Times and the Stranger again. Um, the Times got a candidate through to the top two in all seven races. They, they endorsed in all seven. They got a candidate to the top two in all of them, most of them in second place, which is probably bad news for them. Uh, but yeah, that I... was the stranger's
1: brag. It was like, ha, all of our candidates made it through. All of the Times candidates suck heim tip. And I was like, well, that's pretty <laughs> fun. You got them there. Yeah,
0: the, the thing that was, uh, I, I thought interesting about that is in every race where the stranger endorsed somebody, I, I guess apparently they didn't endorse in all races. Uh, I don't know if that's Correct. true, but in every candidate in every race they did endorse the candidate the times is going up against is the stranger endorsed candidate mm-hmm. it's it's such a weird battle between papers
1: it's it's a very interesting choice of phrase too is like the strangers like suck it our <laughs> candidates made it and the seattle times is like all of the candidates that we endorsed made it through the primary everything's fine <laughs> You're like, yeah, but you guys all got second place. Shut up. All of our candidates totally made it through the primary.
0: And uh, I, I guess the other little wrinkle on uh, this is, one, the votes haven't all been counted yet. Uh, Correct. In, in fact, I noticed this earlier. You said Kashama Sawant was at 32%. I, I guess at least as of uh, late this week, she was up to 37%. She yeah. hit 40. It's slowly yeah. getting more... I don't want to use liberal or conservative because, as we touched on, all these candidates—none of these candidates would actually be called conservative by any
1: Republican. Yeah, in the yeah. This Republican. is all by by the Seattle barometer yeah. of progressive <laughs> and not.
0: Yeah, but the the more conservative candidates, uh, as the votes have been counted, have just their vote shares have uniformly gone down. And uh, the candidates are more to the left have uniformly gone up. So by the time I mean, all we could
1: easily out. say corporate shills and others. <laughs> <laughs> that is effect. I mean, that is honest. You know, when you're backed, like, all of the Times candidates are backed by the Chamber of Commerce. Mm. Most of those candidates are backed by Amazon money. Like, mm-hmm. to, to the point in which, like, you know, Orion, that dude going up against Sawant, like fucking chamber of commerce had to put me up 30 bucks a vote for that cracker yeah like
0: Uh, so i was reading the coverage uh in the times uh and in what's the other one the Crosscut. i don't know mm, how good that one is
1: god i know right i pulled that article up and i looked through it and i'm like i don't know anything about you and i am unsure where i'm going here yeah
0: but uh, they had numbers. In one race, the Chamber of Commerce spent thirty-five dollars for every vote. In another race, they spent thirty-one or thirty-two dollars for uh-huh. every vote they got. There are insane amounts of money, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. So there's the Chamber City of Commerce uh, pack which is mostly backed by Amazon and Boeing and a a few other major companies in Seattle. There's a League of Conservation Voters pack that is somehow swimming in hundreds of thousands of dollars to throw at city council's races. And then there's the Martin Luther King County Labor Pack, uh, which is mostly liberal, but they do have a very strong presence of the police union in there. Uh, Mm. And so... That's ultimately the the police union's displeasure with Sawant for voting against a police contract caused them to uh, swerve in that race and not endorse Sawant. But it is in general a a left of center pack. So you've got two on the left, and then one almost exclusively corporate funded one on the right, and all of them just have such insane amounts of money for a city council election. Yeah, it's. I mean,
1: I I see that as so very directly linked to the head tax, though. Like, Mm -hmm. Amazon is willing to spend, honestly, half a million dollars easy, without even blinking, to stop them from having to pay $2 million in a head tax. Yeah. It's overwhelmingly worth the money for them, and I'm shocked that it's not—that people don't seem to think it's as obvious as it is to me that that's what's happening— Like, but it seems very obvious to me. Like, yeah, this, they're the big game in town. They've directly butted heads with city council for 12 months. And now our like little dinky primary has like big dick money all over the place. Yeah. Like, uh, it's so clear cut. I mean, it's, Yeah, if they can buy candidates now, they don't have to pay two to three million dollars next year, Yeah, which they might not even have to, because honestly, I doubt that our mayor who does support Amazon is really going to go for it. She's the one who sunk it last time after Uh, it passed the vote.
0: I guess the good news on that is the new speaker of the Washington primary is open to considering an income tax, uh, thanks to those court decisions we talked about. Right. So maybe
1: So uh, the only Other election I'll point out That is really really noteworthy And then I'll, I'll kick this on to our next topic uh, Was the King County Council District 2 seat Okay Um, There is a gentleman by the name of Jermaine Zahile uh, Who is Going up against a The long long Term incumbent um, And from and from the Stranger's own, you know, suggestion and, and reading box, uh so Larry Gossett is the incumbent, and he, this dude is like a living civil rights legend in the area. And he's been a part of that council seat for like 30 years, and he's a hardcore progressive, but apparently, according to the stranger at least, his kind of backslid a little or just like he doesn't fight as hard as he used to. He's getting yeah. a little old. And so that this race was particularly interesting, um, as Gourmet is our age. Um, yeah. And so it's, even though Gossett was still fighting to maintain his position, um, the newcomer got 52% of the vote, um, beating Gossett by 13 points. And it. I really like this race, because to me, it really feels like a passing of the torch between generations. Like, this kid absolutely wants to follow in Gossett's shoes in every way, shape, and form, but our generation's version of that. Like, he is a hardcore human rights, civil rights pusher, like, strong activist in the community from what I'm reading. And he still has that fire in his belly, unlike the old guy. Yeah, exactly. And you know, he's young, he's still coming up, he's still doing this stuff. So it's it's definitely a race I want to highlight cuz I think it actually is the best that politics has to offer us. Like these are two people that have very very similar attitudes. And I see this as so much more of a passing of the torch rather than an actual like knockdown drag out fight that a lot of the other elections are going to become. Come November.
0: I wish more older people saw it that way, instead of like taking this as an attack or in a want, you know, a, a want to diminish them in some way. Right. It's it's really wanting to continue what they built. If if they were good guys, I mean, some of them we really are coming for because they're assholes, but Generally. there are plenty of them who did a lot of good work in this world, and it's just it it's time for other people to move on to continue advancing that same narrative that they fought for their entire careers people who might be able to do it more effectively. Yeah, it, absolutely. At least now, you know, if you're 85, I don't care what you're doing. You're less effective at your job. You just, you move a little bit slower. Things happen at a slower yeah. pace. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It just means it's time for somebody else.
1: For sure. I mean, and you know, and when it comes to like human and civil rights, like the things that you worked for and the doors that you opened allowed our generation and subsequent generations to ask different questions than those generations were able to and it's because of that difference in an inquiry system that allows us to keep pushing the needle forward and it's not to say that people like bernie or biden can't still be progressive voices fighting for justice but that they come from a cultural time period that was so much more restrictive than ours that sometimes they're taking for granted things that we still wanna be pushing a needle on.
0: JJ, that was was such a beautiful summation. You could not have put that better. Well, thank you. All right, let's uh, move on from our local politics um, and, and talk about the big national stories, which has been just a string of tragedies this week uh there was a a walmart that got shot up a a shopping mall that got shot up a bar that got shot up um in at least a couple of these cases it has been uh at at least preliminarily linked to right-wing terror uh in one case we're pretty fucking sure because the guy told the police he was targeting mexicans uh that was the shooting in el paso um there was another shooting in dayton outside of a bar uh the right's been making a lot of hype about that because that guy retweeted a bunch of left-wing twitter uh i would like to take the point that having views doesn't make something politically motivated but writing a manifesto uh documenting how you know your ideology drives you to commit mass murder really does mean it's ideologically driven it just seems like such a fucked up thing in this country that we're fighting over that um, it, there
1: it's... is a propensity on the right to think of those sorts of things as apolitical I run into this with my family a lot of like my mom just doesn't like politics but doesn't realize that her statements are inherently well actually, I'll just step even further back, that everything's fucking political. That, like, a white person in a middle-class station's ability to be like, oh, I don't want to care about politics, is a uh privileged position that is also political. Well, I just find it hard to believe when there's something, there's an explicit manifesto. Here is why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I need I hate you know this person, this type of person, this type of person, and I'm out to kill them all. That, how do you deny that at that point? That seems very straightforward. I I fully agree, and and yet the <laughs> the discussion I've had to spend all fucking week having with a oh bunch of God. idiot yahoos is that oh, but actually, JJ, this dude was a liberal. He was a registered Democrat. I'm like, uh, I have yet to find any actual like backup of that assertion right. but even taking that as the case uh you know uh, one of my our buddies sean said it really well it's like look man all fucking white supremacy comes on all sides of the spectrum mm-hmm. it's not like democrats and liberals are somehow immune to white supremacy the biggest yeah. difference that liberals have taken it is that we just hide it better because we know that it's bad but we do it anyway yeah And that's the liberal legacy of white supremacy that we also need to work to drop. Now, this person, however, had no such compunctions whatsoever. I'd say was very, very clear in who he did not like and what he was going to do about it.
0: Mm -hmm. He told the police he was targeting uh, Mexicans. He wrote in his manifesto about the invasion, uh, replacing white people in America.
1: The and from reports on is... the ground targeted them told white people and african americans that they were fine did not target them yeah and went after latinos latinx people
0: the the dayton shooting i i kind of initially thought was racially targeted for a while six out of the nine people he initially killed were african-american uh, but as it came out later it seems like it was just misogynist motivated most of the people he shot were women Mm -hmm. he had kept rape list of girls in high school in fact he got suspended for it at at one point uh he just sounds like a misogynistic asshole who went out to target women including his sister so
1: yeah yeah Yeah. kind of a a creepy nihilist yeah
0: yeah entitled
1: Mm incel.
0: basically yeah um and it's just the reason i i bring that up is because the the outing of these certain grievances and the normalizing them the the way that trump has normalized you know talking about sexual assault uh, dehumanizing mexicans and whatnot the normal normalizing of this the belief that these emotions are okay to have and not something that you need to either Clamp down on yourself or maybe get help from a professional or in some way recognize are not okay that the barriers are breaking down on that. I mean, Dan, you've been talking yeah. a long time about how Trump's going to get uh, Omar fucking killed.
1: Yeah, he absolutely is. Just the you know, stirring people up and relying on you know, our social media environment to spur on craziness and yeah definitely planning on doing that or i don't know if he's planning on doing it but he's doing it because it moves the needle for his supporters you know when he does this stuff they like him more
0: They they are increasingly losing the suburbs over shit like this though um we saw Mm -hmm. it in 2018 and all accounts are it's getting worse for them. Texas may turn out to be a dummy mander for them. Uh-huh. Can you imagine that? They they draw these districts where they give themselves a fairly comfortable advantage, but not huge, so they can spread the support out over as many districts as they can. The so it area, doesn't look
1: as rigged as it is. Well, well, no, <laughs> well the, no. The, I mean, the idea the is if it. you
0: pack more of your voters into one area, you're you're wasting votes. You want to win yeah. every district comfortably, but not overwhelmingly. You want to give your opponents a districts where they have 90% of the vote so that their voters can't interfere in the other districts. It's now right. swung so much in the suburbs that Democrats may have a majority of Texas congressional delegation in this election. Uh, a lot of Texan uh, GOP congressmen are retiring in districts that they used to win by 20%, that they you know, took in 2018 by one and a half two 2% these districts in the suburbs of dallas uh, of austin of houston that used to be reliably republican and one of these strangely animating issues uh is gun violence in this Uh, okay
1: i was hoping that that was what you're gonna say yeah Yeah.
0: i'm tying it all back into gun violence we have the the numbers for universal background checks um for safe storage laws are are getting insane 97 percent on universal background checks yeah 97 percent That like you couldn't like incredible. there's not a clearer
1: issue in the country right now.
0: You can't get fluoride in the drinking
1: water to no. 97%. <laughs> I mean, if you wanted to put is air good on the ballot, it might not get 90 percent
0: Seriously, it's insane. And in particular women, especially in particular suburban women, I think because inner city women have always felt this way suburban women are, are seeing this as an issue you know it, when you're in the suburbs and I, I don't mean this intentionally i don't mean that there's terrible people who chose this life or anything but when you're in the suburbs you can get kind of cut off from reality uh, in a lot of ways you're in a little bubble you don't interact with that many people on the day-to-day life and mostly self-contained when your mm-hmm. kids in your suburban schools are going through active shooter drills And, you know, being marketed bullet-resistant backpacks and shit. All of a sudden, that's in your face, and you have to deal with that. And it's animating a Mm -hmm. lot of of votes, and I I hope so. Because the response of Trump has been fucking disgusting. First of all, he got the name of Dayton, Ohio, wrong. Somehow transported it to fucking Kansas and called it Topeka. I could not believe that. Or Toledo. Or Toledo, excuse me, yeah. Which is technically in
1: Ohio, but, you know. Okay. I shouldn't have said technically. It absolutely <laughs> is in Ohio. That was a little bit Everything of a joke. Everything that's
0: move. in Ohio is technically in Ohio because that's it doesn't fair. really my coworker exist. Is
1: from Cleveland, and he would agree. <clears throat> if, <sighs> if you're in Ohio, do you
0: really exist?
1: So, <laughs> I've, I've got a couple of thoughts on your point, actually, Brock. Uh, back to something we talked about a couple of months ago, you know, when that shooting was right outside of my house, what, three, four months ago, um, and I talked about the police presence and where the increased patrols are going and that they aren't going to my neighborhoods. They're going to neighborhoods with less crime, mm. not to the ones with more crime. And they're going to suburban neighborhoods because people are scared. Because people are just scared that the crime is going to come to them. And so this notion that it's it's really gaining steam in suburbs makes sense to me. Like. They're supposed to be. And of course, you know, it's a bullshit narrative, but it's supposed to be this like idyllic, safe space. Everybody gets along. You know, it's it's Wonder Bread Central. Everything is flavorless and everybody hugs, but not really because we can't touch people because then there could be a lawsuit. <laughs> um, But within that is they have, they feel that they have so much more to protect because of the insulation that you're talking about. And so the more that this is in the news, the more people feel less safe and they know that it's coming and they, I mean, um, what happened in times square this week, I think is a really perfect example. The
0: motorcycles backfiring.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Motorcycle backfired multiple times in Times Square and people fucking ran. It was a panic. There are videos of it. Terror Fucking grab your kids, run like hell. And and what I appreciate, you know, Trevor Noah was talking about it on the Daily Show. He's like, Hey, you know, keep in mind these aren't just Americans. Mm -hmm. These are tourists. These are people who come to our country knowing that we have this problem, knowing that we're going to do nothing. They hear a sound that they think even remotely sounds like gunfire and both citizens and tourists run for the fucking hills because that's how publicly unsafe we are and are willing to be as a nation. And I'm ha- I mean, I'm sad for the people in the suburbs that feel this way, but I'm happy that they finally got there Mm -hmm. because every fucking buddy else has already been through this and they consistently are the last lingering holdouts of head in the sand. Again, the NIMBY people Mm -hmm. like until it happens to their kids and their block, they don't care. And, and so it's nice to see that this might actually be changing that. I mean, though it has been happening in suburbs. yeah,
0: yeah. So a little it is Colorado. already
1: in their neighborhoods, just. But yeah, it's it's hard and it's frustrating, but I I see why they're so panicked. It 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 must feel like only a matter of time. I mean, everybody in education talks about it as only a matter of time. It's we all play Russian roulette, but there's eight rounds in the game
0: uh trevor noah shared that same video of the motorcycle on twitter with the caption that this is what it looks like when your entire nation has btsd
1: yeah which i thought was a really really excellent take on that Yeah, absolutely i think he's right like we do it's everybody in seattle plays fireworks or gunshots like everybody plays that Mm -hmm. game in my neighborhood everybody plays that game at my school Alright guys, thanks
0: for uh, your Saturday morning. We're going to wrap this first one up so JJ can get on his day. Have a good game of D&D tomorrow. Um, I was supposed to be playing that today, actually, but he had to cancel. Oh, bummer.